finish up Mark 13, and so I invite you to open your Bibles to verses uh, 28 through 37 of Mark 13. What does it take for you to stay awake? I'm not talking about how hard it is for you to rouse from bed in the morning, but once you're up and about, how hard is it for you to stay awake during the day into the evening? Of course, there is the literal uh, physicality of how we need rest, but sometimes we sleepwalk our way through parts of our lives without even noticing what is happening to us. How about being present to those around you? Is it difficult for you to listen and be with people? Our devices, of course, have made this much harder. There's a very real distraction we have all the time that screens provide, which can hold our attention when we choose to look at them instead of to the people around us. Try as we might, even though we know it's rude, it can be a challenge for us to tear ourselves away from them. They're staying awake also to what is happening around us. How present are you to what is going on with your neighbor? Each of us have pretty complex lives, and I'm often surprised when something is happening with someone I know but was unaware of it. It can be tempting, especially in the hard realities of life, to tune out the difficulty and sadness. There's so much of it. Staying vigilant in life can be exhausting. When we stop to consider the issues that we care about, the dangers we face, the relationships we want to sustain, the goals we have, the health we need, the obligations we're committed to, the fun we want. It's no wonder that we go on autopilot sometimes just to get a break. So the question's still on the table. What does it take for you to stay awake? And an answer about caffeine doesn't count. Now, it's a good question for our lesson today at the end of this discourse that we've been in for five weeks. Jesus is telling the disciples and everyone else, stay awake, stay alert, pay attention, don't fall asleep. He has told us so much information in Mark 13, and he wants those who are listening to do more than hear it with half an ear and then to go off and not pay attention. And to not say, yeah, I don't really care about that. Yeah, that doesn't really matter to me. I'm going to slide away from that. Jesus emphasizes three times here to stay awake. And this isn't just about mindfulness. It's about being attuned to the Holy Spirit's actions in the world in such a way that we stay present to him as we watch and wait for Jesus to come again. So I invite you this morning to think about Jesus' words to stay alert and what that means for you today. What does the Lord have to say to you about staying alert? I want you to think about, as a person who's committed to following Jesus or at least seeking him, what does it mean? How do you decide what it is that you stay awake to? How do you decide what you're just going to not pay attention to? You see, we don't follow a set of rules or a a particular dogma. We follow a God who is alive and more active than we understand. So hear the word of the Lord from Mark 13, starting at verse 28. 
From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you will know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all of these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. Beware, keep alert, for you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or at cockcrow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, keep awake. The word of the Lord. Now, Jesus is wrapping up this conversation with the four disciples who come asking him a question about when his prophecy about the temple in Jerusalem would come true. Now, Jesus easily could have said, told them the answer, the year 70. But instead, he gives them tools that they're going to need to have word pictures that they can remember, prophecies that they are going to live out, as very soon they are going to need to depend on him in a different way through the power of his Holy Spirit because he will no longer be physically present with them. So this passage is about paying attention to the realities around us with the intention that God wants us to have. He begins with the fig tree in verse 28. He emphasizes what it is that we can learn from looking at the fig tree. Here is what I take from this metaphor. The fig tree demonstrates the change of seasons. It represents how we have to be aware of the situation in the world around us so that we can discern what God is doing as the time gets closer for his coming again. Now, most of the trees in Israel are evergreen, meaning that they continually have leaves. The fig is one of the few deciduous trees It loses its leaves in the winter. It's what you might call a late bloomer. It doesn't bloom until late spring, early summer. And Jesus says in verse 28, you know when the branches become tender and you see leaves everywhere that summer is near. In the same way, Jesus is saying, when you see certain signs around you that I've been talking to you about, my return will be imminent. The long siege of winter will be over. Now, there's not common consensus about some of the things that Jesus is saying here. What is understood is that the Lord is telling them, pay attention to the deeper meaning of things in your life. Pay attention when the world gets more chaotic, when false teachers come and say that they're from me, when the strife gets more intense, when the earth is bearing the brunt of our consumption, of people turning resolutely away from God's truth of the pain of our brokenness being felt at visceral levels every day. As you see these things happening, he said, remember, don't be alarmed, but be prayerful. But what does it mean when he says that a generation will not pass away until these things have taken place? Atheists seize on this statement. Atheist says, well, this just just means that Jesus is wrong, that he is a fraud, So many generations have passed and he hasn't come back. 
So clearly he's wrong. Now here are a few ideas from uh, scholars about what it might mean that this generation uh, is passing away. One is that Jesus was talking about humanity in general. Two, he was talking about the destruction of the temple. Or three, he was talking about all the hard-to-understand event, uh, hard events that we've been talking about, wars and persecution and the desolation. Now, of these three choices, the last one has the most unity of thought. Before the Son of Man comes, all of these things need to happen. We've been talking about that. And while that's troubling that all of those things haven't yet happened, it can also be seen as God's grace that allows more people to come to know him. But there's something also about the fig tree that I want us to think about. Remember that we talked about how it was a fig tree that Jesus curses on his way into Jerusalem before he cleanses the temple. And he uses that fig tree as a way to teach his disciples about faith. Here, the fig tree is a redemptive symbol of hopefulness in the Lord whose blossoms mean that he is ushering in a new era, a new way of knowing him, that he will be coming again soon. So stay alert, Jesus says, to the signs that you see around you. Learn what it means that God is moving us toward the end of the age. In verse 31, we see that Jesus also tells us to stay alert to his word. When I was in college, I was part of a great Christian fellowship group, along with some other people you might know, named Mark Bates and Carrie Svoboda. And our campus pastor used to always say something like this. When the end comes, there are only going to be three things that remain. God, his word, and people. So put your highest focus on what is eternal, remembering everything you do in this world should come out of love. For one of those three things. Now as a 20 year old. I was like. Whoa. That is an amazing. Beautiful thought. I had to think about what that meant for me. Here Jesus is emphasizing. Part of that truth. That his word will outlast. Anything in heaven or on earth. Now there are many words. That we value. Writers throughout the ages. Have given us thoughtful revolutionary, comforting, inventive, and hilarious words to keep us going, to give us a deeper meaning of understanding our time here. But the truth of God encompasses everything in his word and continues to be a source of life for those who trust him. And even those who don't believe him, who don't know him, live by many of his precepts. The Ten Commandments, the Golden Rule, the ideals of freedom and love and peace, reconciled relationships, why we should love one another. All of these things come from him. He is the creator. All goodness and truth we understand are his thoughts first, not ours. We know that words are powerful. Words have the ability to build up and tear down. Words have lasting impact for blessing in our lives, and they are also the source of so much pain that we carry. We use them every day to influence people, even as we are impacted by their constant stream. But pay attention to this one thought now. Jesus' words have the highest value and have made the most lasting impact. With just a word, God spoke all of creation into being. 
So we think if God can create something into existence with a word, it means that his word is more powerful than creation itself. Heaven and earth, Jesus says, are going to be gone. But do you know what will last? His word. This is a bold claim of Jesus. And as we think about it then, we think about the other truths that he has said that we can hold on to. Truths like, I love you. You are forgiven. I am coming back to take you with me so you can be where I am. Love each other. You see, staying alert to what God has said and continues to say to us is what he wants for us. This helps us every day. Listen to how one writer put it. Jesus' words are the firm ground upon which the church can dare to live and to meet courageously all the errors which are coming before the end. You see, no matter what chaos ensues, what drama we ourselves make, the words of our Savior will keep his people steadfast in him. The final emphasis of Jesus' teaching here is found in verse 32 through 37, where he is commanding his followers to stay alert to what God has given them oversight for, exhorting them to remember that he could come back at any time. In the Gospel of Matthew, there's a parallel version of this conversation that we're having in Mark. But what's interesting in Matthew's version is that Jesus gives four parables to drive home his point, not just one. Here, Jesus talks about the doorkeeper who was in charge of being on watch over the master's house. And in his absence, Jesus says that person better not be found asleep when the boss comes home. So I want to highlight the message from Matthew. I want to just talk briefly about each of the four parables because they're relevant to our message because they are the words of Jesus and because they layer on one another to bring home a common point that all of us should live in readiness for Jesus's return. So the first parable is found in Matthew 24 and is about the homeowner and the thief. Jesus says, if the homeowner had known When the thief was coming, they would have stayed awake. They wouldn't have allowed their house to be broken into. Be ready, Jesus says, because the Son of Man is going to come like a thief in the night in an unexpected hour. Now, some of you may know that our home was broken into a few weeks ago. We're going to have more lessons on that later, trust me, as your pastor. But of course, if we would have known... When the thief would have come, we would have taken better precaution. That's a painful lesson. Jesus is telling us there is a painful lesson for those who aren't paying attention to me. The second parable is about two kinds of servants. Jesus says, blessed is the one who the master finds working when he comes home. The one who drinks on the job, who mistreats others, who acts like this is their house is going to be surprised when the owner comes home. The third one is about the ten bridesmaids who are waiting for the bridegroom to come. Half of them are wise, the other half run out of oil. They have to hurry up and go and get more fuel for their lamps, and the door is shut by the time they get to the party. 
This one reminds me of the meme about how someone had one job. You had one job. You had one job to keep your, your lights burning, and you blew it. We have one job, to keep the light of Christ shining until we see him again. The last image is about the talents that God has given each of us. Do we use them, or do we bury them? In his absence, he has told us, grow my kingdom. Do the work that I need you to do. There are no excuses when I return. Now, the common theme here, of course, is to exercise attentiveness over our life. But there are also some other commonalities that I want you to notice. One is that Jesus gives word pictures because word pictures are easy to understand and they stick in our head. And who is he telling to be ready? Workers, women, homeowners, slaves, masters, those who have many gifts, those who have just a few. You see, these stories resonate with all kinds of people. Because regardless of who we are, the Lord wants us to be ready with open arms when he returns. The element of surprise here is not meant to trick anyone, but it does serve as a warning. Like a pop quiz, the professor says, could come at any time, we can't complain that we didn't know that Jesus was coming back. Jesus tells us plainly to be watchful. In verse 36, when it says he might find us asleep when he comes suddenly, that is a figure of speech for carelessness on the part of a professed disciple. A commentary from the 50s said something really funny. It said, the worst ism in the world is not fascism or communism, but is somnambulism, the act of sleepwalking. In all of the parables that he tells, there are consequences. Some of them are quite dreadful for not staying awake. Now, there are two kinds of time mentioned in the New Testament. One is chronos, which we might call clock time. When we say 2.45, or the Bible says the sixth hour of the day, we are using chronos. The other is kairos, which has to do with event time usually a decisive moment or a pivotal time in history. When we say, I'll see you at the wedding, or the time is now, we are using kairos. Now, the difference between chronos and kairos is huge. You might be irked if you were five minutes late picking up your child from school. But you would be devastated if you were five minutes late and you missed them getting their diploma at their graduation. The women who had to go get more oil were not just late in a chrono sense. They missed the occasion they had waited for, the kairos moment that they never would get back. John Wesley was asked one time what he would do if he knew that Christ was coming that very night. He said, I don't think I would change any of my plans. My guess is that he was eager to see the Lord descend being faithful in his worship, knowing that life here is just meant to get us ready for eternity. So what kind of followers have to be told to stay alert? The kind who are weary of life, who get lulled into forgetting that we are the ones who hold God's life in our lives, the ones who recognize that he has given us stewardship, over his life and the possessions until he returns. 
As we, realize, as we read this, we remember how very shortly some of these disciples will forget this lesson. They will fall asleep in the garden while Jesus prays in agony before the crucifixion. He implores them, don't rest. He does it twice. Please, please, can you not pray with me? And I was wondering why this was. The plans were already set in motion. He was already going to die. But maybe he wasn't just telling them to pray for uh, having companionship for him. Maybe it was for them to ask the Father to give them strength for all that they would face when he was arrested. But they didn't feel the urgency and collapsed spiritually under the anguish of seeing Jesus die. To be awake and to be alert is to be ready to do Christ's will. It is to be ready to seek him and to ask for direction. It is to understand that life can change in a moment, in the blinking of an eye, when the Lord descends on the clouds. One last word picture. One professor says that this piece of scripture, quote, functions like a rumble strip on the side of the highway, meant to jar the community of faith awake, as it nods off and drifts toward the ditch. Let us heed the words of our Lord and wake up to his truth in our lives as we all wait in joyous anticipation of him coming again. Thank you for listening. If you would like to learn more about the Free Methodist Church of Santa Barbara, you can visit us online at fmcsb.org. We pray this message has been a blessing to you.